to me, that's faith, you know, like to me, that's faith in running. So I think runners understand faith because, because a lot of times we don't really see um, something and it might even take years, but then it's like, whoa, where, where'd that come from? But it was actually because you, you stuck you with it. You were believing it the whole time. Yeah, you, you, something in you believed. That's Mario Mendoza, and this is episode 29 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and this week we've got my namesake, Mario Mendoza. Mario is a professional trail and ultra runner from Bend, Oregon. He's also a five-time national champion. He's represented the U.S. six times at global championships. He's a three-time U.S. trail runner of the year. Most recently, he was sixth at the IAU Trail World Championships in Spain. It was his second straight top 10 finish at that event. In short, the guy is a stud, and I think you'll learn a lot from him. This was a great conversation, one of the favorite ones I've had thus far on this podcast. We talked about his life as a pastor, as a soon-to-be dad, as a professional trail and ultra runner. Talked about what it was like to grow up in Cambria, California on an avocado farm with his family and how that experience has shaped his own life perspective today. We talked about how he got into running, how his career has progressed uh, since that time in high school. We talked about why he reminds himself not to get caught up in outcomes when it comes to race day, even though he's a very competitive person. That's something I believe we can all benefit from. We talked about what it's like to represent Team USA and why that means so much to him and why we both wish it meant more to other trail and ultra runners in this country and a lot more. I'm not going to ruin it for you. So enjoy my conversation with Mario Mendoza. Mendoza, thanks for having me here in Bend, and welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You're going to be a dad soon, like real soon. <laughs> yes. Yes, like it could be like right now. <laughs> so if this is a short podcast, people out there listening, um, you'll know why, because Mario's wife, Jade, is very, very pregnant right now and could literally be having their son any hour. Yes, I'm so, so excited. So let's start there. Um, really curious, not running related question at all. Um, and not that he would be able to comprehend this right when he's born, but if you could tell your son anything, um, right when he's born just about the world or what's going on right now, or what you would like him to know as he enters it, what would that be? Yeah. Um, for me, the biggest thing that I want him to know right away is that he's loved and, and that he's unique and that he matters and that he can be many cultures blended at once, you know, that he can be however he wants to be and, and, uh, that nobody has to tell him what to be, but he can just be himself. Yeah. I think that's a great message to push out to <laughs> anyone in the world right now, especially someone who's coming into it. And it's really yeah. confusing and chaotic and in some regards, catastrophic right now. Yeah. And um, I think that's just an important message that we could all heed for, for our own lives. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like for us as parents, um, you know, we are going to go into this with not any experience, but in my opinion, the fact that we already love him so much is the most important piece. And so it's like, we're going to learn, we're going to make mistakes, but 
we're there for him and we're there to support him love him. Yeah, I think that's super cool. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. This has been a long time coming up and following your career since you've gotten into trail and ultra racing. Um, about eight years back now, I think it was like 2010 was your foray into the sport, if I'm not mistaken. Is that? That's right. Is that yeah, correct? 2010. Yeah. And you've been living here in Bend, I think maybe since then, maybe a little bit before, but how long have you been here and what brought you to town? I've been in Bend now eight years, a little over eight years, and um, I only took a short break from being in Bend, and it was just a three-month stint in Colorado Springs, and at the time, I was actually trying to figure out where um, I felt kind of connected the most to the community, to the running community, where it would be fun to train for a while, and I really loved Bend. I just loved... um, the the nature the water here and the mountains and i couldn't believe coming from california just how many trails there was here and just how a lot of it was not private lands and i could actually run and connect everything so i i fell in love with it pretty quickly and to to be honest i didn't think i'd be here for that long but it's just kept rolling you know it's sort it's just been year after year and um, now it definitely feels a lot more like a home. Like I, I'm from here pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Do you think yourself and Jade and your soon to be born son are going to stay here for the long term or is it too early to tell at this point? It's, it's early to tell. We've got a couple options actually. So we, um, are in the middle of deciding whether to go to, um, pasture and orphanage in, in Guatemala um, we also have an option to do some work uh, with ministry in Mexico. Um, and then we also have a couple options to stay here. So we're kind of, we've been really uh, weighing in on all of them and just seeing where where we could uh, do the most work. That's kind of like what's in our hearts right now. Um, and I, we're getting really close. We're kind of waiting till the little guy comes <laughs> to really make that last decision. But um, yeah, it could be. It could be that we'll be here for for a while, and and we're we're cool with that because Ben is such a good place to be. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. A big part of this conversation will eventually revolve around running because you are a professional trail and ultra runner for Skechers and a few other companies. But beyond that. You're also a pastor. Ministry is a big part of your life. It's something that you had just mentioned that could be one of the things that pulls you away from Bend. Let's dig into that a little bit more. When did or when do you remember faith becoming a very big part of your life? And when did it become a part of your life that you decided you wanted to share with others and lead a ministry? Yeah, um... You know, when I grew up on the on the ranch, the avocado ranch, I just remember really seeing like God and faith in everything, just like in nature, um, in the way things were like so orchestrated. Like I just would see things naturally um, grow and just be really beautiful. And like in a way they would worship you know, just on their own, like flowers and mountains and, and animals and even like like animals that we took care of on the farm. I was just like, man, this to me, it all like pointed to to there being more. Um, and so I guess 
to the answer the first question, like faith kind of has always been like something that intrigues me. And I've always like wanted to be connected to, to what is here on this earth and what's around me. Um, but it wasn't until college where I really started to uh, dig in because growing up, a lot of it had to um, do more with like my, my parents' traditions and, and what they did. And, and, and we would go to church um, every Sunday and, um, and it wasn't bad. It's just like, you know, it was sort of like I was following them and, and joining them in, in their time of, um, of worship as well. And Are you it, Catholic? Yes. So I grew up Catholic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, today we still sometimes go to the Catholic church. Uh, when we go to Mexico, definitely we to go with my grandparents to the Catholic church. And, um, and it's wonderful. I mean, I, I, um, I love certain things about uh, just the way that it, the traditions that are done there. But I think what I've seen is there's, there's definitely issues in any, kind of denomination or specific church. Uh, I think that just how there's no perfect person, there's really no perfect church out there. Um, you know, I wouldn't claim that even the church we go to today is perfect either. Um, so, so that's why I think we're not say tied to a specific denomination. Um, so, so I'm not like Catholic. I'm not like, um, the church we go to right now is church of God. So I'm not church of God. I'm not a friend's church. I'm not a specific church to me. Like what matters is that connection, um, that faith that, that we have. Yeah. And how important is it for you to share that with others and get them to understand and appreciate the beauty that is around us? Man, like (laughs) if I could just somehow say it without like having to, you know, pressure anyone that, that would be my goal. Like to, to sort of share this like connection with creation, um, without like forcing anyone, then, then that would be like the ultimate desire that I'd have. But the thing is that, um, I've, I've guess I've come to this place where I, I never want to like force anyone to believe something because I think not even God does that, you know, like not even God forces us to believe in him. He doesn't force us to, to, um, love him back. And so that's where I'm like, okay, if he doesn't do that, then why would I, you know, all I can really do is try to like point to that joy that I have and that relationship that's like kind of above like the worldly things, but it's up to a person eventually. And so I, I guess my life, sort of um goal is kind of to figure out how to better display that relationship and that faith so that maybe it will inspire people to to seek for themselves because ultimately um a person has to search themselves and if if um they don't do that it'll never become really real for them yeah and in what other ways do you do that currently? Are you leading services? Are you leading retreats? Like how is that actionable on your end? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the most, uh, I guess, evident ways, I guess that I can share that has been through, through sermons and talks that we've done. Um, you know, like when I talk in schools here, 
I'm not allowed to say say God. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm not allowed to, but I'm okay with it because it's like I think we can say a lot of things that don't like have to say God, you know, and still point to him. Um but a lot of it a lot of the opportunities that I've gotten have been through just um being in community. Um really the my favorite thing is actually like just loving and caring on on the youth because uh you see like they have this like almost like uplifting in their spirits when somebody is like really genuinely loving them because you see like a baby when a baby's born they can already tell if they're loved or not it, it's so weird it's like they can already tell they have that built instinct whether like somebody loves them or not and much more so teenagers much more so adults like they can really tell if you're doing this just to look good or if you're doing this because you really care for them and so as much as the talks have been really fun and, and that's something new that I didn't even know I liked to do but I, I really like to do it now um but those opportunities like um whether it's a camp whether it's a mission trip whether it's just uh spending time with different classes um for the youth here in Central Oregon like the different high schools um just spending that time with people and 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 uh like letting kind of your heart just take over and and just you know those few moments I think of of feeling connected both ways because I mean it, it, I feel connected when I do that it's not like I'm like the one that's like doing all these things for them. I feel like I'm receiving as much as I'm giving out. Um, and so those opportunities have presented like just, just connections and, you know, meeting face to face with people and um, getting to, to share a story maybe. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that there's more of that because that's kind of what has been like intriguing me more and more lately. Yeah, let's go back to something you had mentioned a few minutes ago. You grew up on an avocado farm in Cambria, California, which is on the Central Coast. We'll go into the specifics of that here in a little bit, but you had mentioned how it was growing up there. You're around, you know, nature and these beautiful surroundings that you were able to develop an appreciation for it, and that led to further exploration. How much of that? was one of the driving forces behind you getting into trail and ultra running, which are often done in these expansive, natural, beautiful environments. Yeah. Um, it was going, getting into ultra running was like just so easy. And, and the trail running was such an easy transition because it really fit the personality I already had of um, loving nature and loving to to spend this time, um, worshiping. Like when I see people use the, the church of the Sunday long run hashtag, I, I understand it, you know, like for me, that's like awesome because I think that's exactly how I feel when I'm out there. It's like church time and I am, I'm connecting to the mountains. I'm connecting to the beauty that's out there. And, um, and I feel like, alive with it. Right. And so, um, I mean, I can admit that 
the first few years, like my competitiveness in trail running was a big part of it as well. But it's just more and more that part of loving the the mountains and loving the creation has been the drive now. Um, as much as I still obviously compete as hard as I can, but I can say that today that time out there is 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 really the most fun part versus like winning, right? Yeah. So yeah, when I weigh those two, I'm like, actually, I get more joy from being out there than the winning. You know, winning's fun, but feeling like alive out there is is much more fun. Yeah, and well, and races in general are just a very small part of the equation. They can be anywhere from an hour long to a day long, maybe even more, <laughs> yeah. but compared to the amount of miles you're putting in, you know, in training and the time you're spending out in the mountains, it's minuscule. Yeah. Um, for you, do you train alone or do you train with other people? And I guess that's a really simple way of me trying to ask you if you know, you share that nature with other people or if it's just something you prefer to appreciate on your own? Uh, definitely a time for both. I, I, um, I think that I would rather train more with people just cause I, I really enjoy like two of my favorite things is just like community and being out there in the mountains. Um, so combining them is really nice, but there has been just a lot of a, a deeper um, appreciation for those times that I'm out there on my own and um, and I can just stay focused really on, on what's around me. Like I don't really listen to music because I just really think there's enough for me to enjoy out there. Um, so so it's, a, it's a balance of both. Like I would say in the last few years, maybe 80% of my training is on my own. And then about 20% is more with um, others. And there's a lot of great runners here in Bend to train with. So that makes it easier and try to connect with them as much as possible. Um, lately, I've been coaching at the high school here. So so I, I, I try to schedule my training so I can go and, and do some of my runs with them and try to help them with their workouts. And and that's been really fun too. So So I enjoy that aspect as well. Yeah. I'd love to go back to your origins uh, in general and specific to yeah. running. As I said, you grew up in Cambria, California. Your dad worked on an avocado farm. I think you guys lived on the avocado farm, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. What was your childhood like growing up on the avocado farm? Yeah. Um, so we only had two families there. It was It was us and my aunt and uncle's family, so my cousins that were roughly around the same age, um, but very few people on this big farm. It's 300 acre farm. And so really there wasn't like a ton going on. So, so really that's why we spent a lot of time outside. We spent a lot of time playing in the woods. Um, we'd build, you know, forts and try to catch coyotes with traps and stuff or <laughs> go fishing. Sounds fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. We just like, you know, spend time outside. Like one time, one of my favorite memories is one time we randomly found like a litter of kittens and my cousin and I are like, oh man, we've got to take these back. Like, like we got to take them back home. And then we were stoked that our parents let us keep, keep them, you know? So <laughs> we were like, this is a really good day. Um, but the one thing that I, I guess when I reflect back on that time was um, without 
trying to, you know, we had sort of like this immersion in like the Mexican culture there because that's the two families there were Hispanic. Like we're all from Mexico and, um, you know, my parents didn't really know English at that time. So everything was like, almost like we were in Mexico still, you know, we, we ate Mexican food. We grew up in the Mexican culture. We spoke Spanish. We still didn't really know English until we went to, to school and, um, and so I guess like it was a time of being still really connected to, to my roots and, and to where both my parents are from. Um, and I'm grateful for it. You know, like I, I really am happy that it was that way. Um, but I think maybe some people could mistake it as like, I was, you know, purposely trying to stay Mexican and not like dive into the American culture, but really it was just not on purpose. We just had no other choice. I mean, that was all we knew. Um, and, and so it was very isolated. Um, we were about six miles from the highway and then another four, so 10 miles from like town of the town of Cambria. And, um, during my first three or four years there, we were really just on the ranch a lot. Like it was like we would go to town to go buy groceries and sometimes to church. And then we started connecting with like some families in town, but it really it wasn't until we started going to school that I would say we were starting to connect more with like the town of Cambria and the community of Cambria um, and, and realizing that there's a lot more out there than just life on the farm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life on the farm, I can't imagine it was easy at all. 300 acres harvesting avocados. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Were you involved in that work at all as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't, um, like on purpose, it wasn't like, mm -hmm. Hey, you, you know, you've got to help us, you know, you've got to work. It was just sort of, uh, our family values were, we just, we do things together. And, and so, um, I started since I could remember, I was out there, um, when, even when I wasn't very useful, I was still out there just hanging out with my parents while they worked and picked avocados. Um, and then once I was a little stronger, then I would, I would help as much as I could. Um, I actually have some funny pictures of like seeing how as I, as I grew in strength and, and got taller, like I, all of a sudden, you know, I went from one bucket to two buckets and then I could finally carry that big, uh, like 80 pound bag, you know, in front of me. So, so then, uh, then, then, you know, you're the real deal. When you that takes a pretty <laughs> impressive core strength to, to hold yourself upright with one of those things in front of your chest. Big time. Like I, I honestly, I mean, I went to a small high school, so it's not like it's much, it's not too much bragging, but I was like the strongest kid. I mean, I was super strong. I had a lot of squat power for football because, um, I was used to that, that weight, you know, and I would climb, climb trees, um, knew how to like set the ladder to be safe and um and you just kind of start building like a athletic strength naturally yeah. aside from the athletic <laughs> skills that you developed growing up on the farm what were some of the life lessons that you observed i mean you just talked about that 
togetherness. You guys did everything together as a family. But what were some of the other takeaways that you had that you still apply to your life today or that you try to keep in mind? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things is just that hard work is, is not a bad thing. That's the thing is like, I think we try to make life so simple, but like I look back at those times and I'm like, it felt good to work hard and then go home and be like, yeah, we worked hard. (laughs) You know, it's like, like, uh, we would be tired, but that meal and that sleep tasted really good. And, um, and it sort of bonded you. Like, it's like, like you could, you start joking about like, oh, you know, I, I finished this a little bit faster and then you finish your bin at this pace. And, you know, like I, I was competitive already back then. So once I got strong, I was trying to keep up with like the, the strong adults like in the picking. And, um, and so I guess like it's funny to think that uh, those times, even though the light, like life on the farm wasn't easy and there was labor involved, it was very meaningful and it was so cool to see something like tangible come out of it. You know, like we, we picked certain amount of bins and we made this amount of money for a family and we did it together. And yeah, some people were better than others at the pace, but like we got to do it together. Yeah. And so it was awesome. (laughs) You think about your running and training and then eventually the, results in the same way definitely like to me is very correlated because like it's funny like why are people running all these ultras you know like why are people wanting to like set these huge goals and go overcome these huge obstacles because it's like actually really fun to have like challenging things you know things that test you and things that like prove that you're that you're maturing or that you're growing and that you're getting better at something. And so for me, like running has been very similar to those times of, of working in the farm because, um, one is when I race with people as much as like I'm competitive, like when that race is over, I feel like we grew closer, like we bonded, you know, and especially if it's my own teammates, if it's like the U S team, I'm like, this is awesome. Like we just bonded out there and we had the same kind of goals and we all ran our own race, but, but it connected us. And so to me, that connects to me, it connects that it's so fulfilling when you put the work in and, um, and maybe like, it's not like that very first day you receive a medal, but then farther down the line, you start seeing like, tangible results you know you you pr'd in a a race you um you saw that you've improved like right now in the 100 miles i'm still i don't understand the 100 miles yet but i i believe that one day i will and so that'll be really cool because i'm working towards that and it's the same as to me as when i was growing up you know like you put in the work and then it, it starts producing some kind of fruit. Yeah, you're playing the long game. Yes. <laughs> when did running come into your life? Uh, so it was in about my junior year of high school. And I say about because I kind of like, um, I tested the waters a little bit, but soccer was my my big thing. Like I was just like, my 
my goal was to be a professional soccer player. And so when I first started kind of dabbling with running, it was really just to get in better shape for soccer. And, and then I got hurt. So I hurt my knee and the knee thing sort of made it so that I had to rehab for a while and step back from soccer. And during that time, my junior year was when I would say I realized running was an actual sport and and that there could be a future there and um, that I was pretty good at it. Like it, it was like kind of quick success with it. And so um, that intrigued me to to look at it as a potential opportunity um, for, for the future. Do you remember your first race? I do. <laughs> Tell me about it. I do. <laughs> uh, so my first race was in San Luis Obispo and it was around uh, Laguna Lake Park there. And um, I went out with the leaders. Like I, I'm just, I'm that competitive. How and old were you? I was seven, 17. Okay, so yeah. like junior in high school. Yeah, okay. yeah. So 17. And I, I tried to run with them. Like I tried to run with whoever was in the lead and I made it about half a mile and then had to stop and like walk for a little bit. So I walked, caught my breath. And then I was so like, I was so frustrated that I couldn't keep up that then I tried to chase them again. So then I lasted another maybe half a mile and I started closing back in, but I mean, not even close. Like, and then I had to stop again. And then, and then I was like, okay, I got to try to get into some kind of pace here. So then I got into pace and I think I didn't stop anymore at that point, but I finished in like 1836 5k. And I just remember, so like Jordan Hesse was, was in that race and she, she beat me. <laughs> I was mad that a girl beat me. And then there was some really not good, a, not a bad girl. <laughs> beat me though. Yeah. And then there was like a lot of good, uh, San Luis Obispo runners. Like there's a guy, Dan Nunn, who yeah. was like legit. Another guy, Brian, Medigovich, who ended up running like 13s in Adam State. So, like, I mean, these guys were really good. Yeah. I had no idea. I just like tried to run, run with them. And, um, and I was, so I finished 13th that day. And my first instinct was like, I suck at this, you know, like this is, this was terrible. <laughs> why, did, <laughs> why did I even come out here? Why did I come try this out? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, just hearing you describe it, it sounds like you were learning things along the way. You were like, I went out really hard. I got to stop and walk here. Maybe I'll try to catch up and then I can hang Oh no, that didn't work either. I got to find this, this rhythm. steady rhythm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, it's just this, I mean, that's what running is, right? It's this continual process of discovery where yeah. <laughs> we test things out, we see how it goes and then we adjust. Yeah. And it, it's funny cause it's like, it wasn't until afterwards that I was able to sit back home and like process everything and then talk to the coach. And he was like, actually you ran really well, you know, like, like that's a lot of people would want to run 18 something for their first 5k, you know? And so he's like, that's a really good start, especially cause you went out too fast. So how about we try to slow things down? Let's shoot for like 17 minutes next time and not going out so fast. And that's how I started kind of getting hooked. Cause I was like, I saw a big jump the next race and then I was like, okay, maybe 
I'm not as bad as I thought. (laughs) How much did you improve between that first race and the end of your high school career? I got down to 1605 at Woodward Park. Okay. So, um, for 5k, for 5k. So I was, yeah, I was fifth in the state for division five. Okay. Yeah. Do you run track too, or just cross country? Just cross country. We didn't have any, any track. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But you did run, go on to run collegiately. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, that, that 1605 kind of started sparking just that like drive to see, see how much better I could be. And, um, at the time I thought fifth in the state, even though it was division five, I thought it was super cool. <laughs> you know, well, division five in California is bigger than some other yeah. states. In yeah. General. <laughs> so I thought, I thought I was the big deal, you know, but it wasn't enough to, to get recruited like big time. It was more just like teams would be like, yeah, if you want to come out and try out for the team, then it would be, um, be there for you so you just um, knew you wanted to continue exploring it and seeing where you could take it yeah that was the big kind of turning point was that i actually was intrigued to keep pushing versus like at first i just saw it as i'm just doing this while i get fully healthy to go back to soccer and and then now it was like what i i want to see like if i can get a lot better yeah so yeah tell me about your collegiate career and how it was able to progress from that 1605 5k that you were able to post in high school. Yeah. So I started, uh, my collegiate career in UC Davis and I tried out for the team there and made the cross country team. I didn't make the track team that first year, but the cross country experience kind of just gave me a chance to, to really, uh, develop a little more, to do more training and I would see like glimpses of a really good result. So like, I think the first one was when I ran 26.05 for AK, which was definitely like a move forward in terms of like a 16.05, 5K. Um, it's almost pretty close in terms of the pace of each of those. Yeah, races. yeah. You're able to maintain it for be, another couple yeah, miles. Able to maintain it like for a little longer for like almost, yeah, another two. So um, so that was neat. My first year kind of seeing glimpses of like, okay, I'm getting better. I can probably run 15, you know, forties now on the, on the 5k distance. And, um, then like my sophomore junior year, what I think kind of happened is I just jumped in a, into a lot of training. I jumped into a lot of volume and just sort of tried to like, do what other guys were doing. Was it self-driven or was that the program you had? Or did you get the program and say, all right, this is good, but I want to be better. So I'm going to do a little bit more. It was more, um, I would say it was actually the, the program okay. at the time. Like the, the coach that was there believed that I could get a lot faster and that I, I should have been running a lot faster. And so I was sort of putting these, these groups that, were like a few levels ahead of me. And I think that either I was just a lot more raw than people thought, but I, something happened where I was just overtrained. I had anemia for, um, like almost a year without really knowing that I was overtraining and that I had all these issues. And, and so then 
it, I actually went backwards. That was the first time after like three years of steady progression where I went backwards, kind of wondering, am, is, was this a mistake? Should I go back to soccer kind of thing? Um, and so then that, that sophomore, junior year was when I had to make a really kind of critical decision. Like, okay, if I want to keep running, it seems like this, this program here, um, for me is like a little too, too advanced. Just not a good fit. Mm, Not a good fit. And, um, and I wasn't making like the, the track team. So I wasn't able to like really get a full, um, year in of training, um, and so that's actually when I went to St. Mary's College of California. I transferred there. And uh, that was a really good decision, honestly. Yeah. Aside, yeah. From, aside from switching schools at that time, what other changes did you make when you started to realize that things were going backwards? Even if you didn't know you had anemia, how did you turn it around? One of the biggest things was um, I started to believe in, in myself again. Like I started, I started looking at like, okay, I know there's talent in there. And so if I'm not racing well, then it's not that I'm not like trying hard enough. It's gotta be something else. So I started really having that confidence again, that it has, it's gonna happen. Like I'm gonna have breakthroughs. I'm gonna have run again well again. I just have to be patient and, and take, small steps to get there. But, um, that was the biggest thing. Like when I look back, I was like, I believed again in myself. And I think like, because I wasn't hearing that, like from, from some of the the coaches there, like it was, I, I didn't believe in myself anymore. And so, um, and I looked back to high school and there I had a lot of like, you know, cause you're, when you're, when you're in a small school, it's like, you're the big deal. And everyone's like, you're really fast. And so I believed in myself there. It was easy at that point. Yeah. And you, it was like, I didn't have these big, big like competition and even within my team being so fast. Um, and so now I was able to like get my, my mind back to thinking there's something there and I need to figure it out. I need to take it slow and, and, and it'll happen, you know? And so what was really neat was the coach there was on board with that. And they, they believed, like they believed that I could run well and that looking at my history, that there was potential and that there was talent. So, um, that really helped me not be rushed with the training and not be rushed with like needing to race really well early in the season and not be rushed with like, okay, I used to run with some of these guys and now I'm like way back here, you know, I need to catch up. No, like it was more like, what do I need to do to keep progressing and get myself um, healthy, you know? Yeah. Those are big lessons to learn at what, 20 years old? Yep. Maybe. Yeah. 20. Yeah. How did your last couple of years end up in college at Mount St. Mary's? Is it Mount St. Mary's? Uh, St. Mary's College. St. Mary's College. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's right over the Oakland Hills, like a tiny little school, um, pretty close to Berkeley, actually. Okay. Um, and so my junior, senior year, again, our school, the funny thing is we didn't have track at that time. So now they do. So cross country was a big thing. And my middle of that junior year, 
things clicked and I started to run well again. So suddenly, like I, I won one of the UC Davis Invitationals and then I did really well. I like the Santa Clara AK1 um, and then I broke the school records. I ended up running low 25s that first junior year. Um, and then by the end of that junior year, I ran like high 24s. Um, and then I finished, I think it was 11th in the West Coast Conference that year. Um, and then it just kept going. So my senior year, I ended up moving up to fourth in the West Coast Conference. I ended up running 24, like 20s in the AK. And our whole team was actually improving. So I was number one in our team, but we had a, a whole like jump in everyone's level, which is really neat to see. That was probably the, my favorite thing about college was how much the team improved and how it's uh, carried over to like the team they have now that has improved a lot. So, um, yeah, and then then I, you know, I was actually like excited to run unattached in track and ended up running 1440, um, just just running like local races there. Um, and so that was seeing like these steps, you know, I was back to wow, I am getting better. I am like all of a sudden in this new fitness level and uh, it's exciting again kind of thing. Yeah. At what point did you decide, much like high school, but now in college, that you wanted to continue competitive running and seeing where you could take it? I had a really good race at one of the PA uh, cross country. What is it? Yeah. Pacific. Yeah. PA cross country series. Yeah. Which I'm going to start racing here in a couple of weeks. Heck yeah. That, that was a really cool series. So, um, I, I had a really good race there right after my, my senior year. And I was running, uh, with guys like, like Sergio Reyes and, uh, Michael Coe. And I just remember these are like Olympic trials. Yeah. Qualifiers. Yeah. And so I remember like, I was like, I forget if I was like fifth or fourth there. I did. I did well in that. Like yeah, regional. you were in it. Mm -hmm. And and I just remember like I just used to see them as like they were so far out of reach. And then all of a sudden now I was like in the race with them, and I was really excited. And so I was like, oh man, like I'm finally making these these leaps again. And uh, it intrigued me to to like give it more time. And so. Um, Again, that that was like something that started when I made that transition to switch schools. And I told myself, like, there's something there, right? There's like, there's some talent there. I mean, it was literally <laughs> and figuratively the second phase of your collegiate career. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you switch schools and that's a natural transition point, but something certainly clicked yeah. for you, you know, mentally and emotionally that allowed you to continue progressing. Yeah, yeah, and I I I uh I was excited again, which was fun. Yeah. Um so yeah. In general, and this is thinking about all the people who are listening to this podcast, how important is that excitement to get out there and work hard every day? That excitement to get out there and see what's possible to the actual improvement itself. I mean, I think a lot of us think about just the training. If I put in this many miles and I do these workouts, then 
you know, the equation says I should be here, mm-hmm. um, which to a degree that's important, but how important is that driving excitement behind all of it, that enthusiasm for putting in the work, which is something you alluded to earlier in our converse- conversation? Yeah, I think for me, it ties back to um, just like seeing myself as as more than just like a runner, but a complete person and, and just mind, body, soul. And, and I've just found that when all the parts of who I am are aligned and enjoying everything, then really the, the results, they're going to come and you're more patient for them. And so you're not like dependent on them to, to have this like joy and this, this, this fun time being out there putting in the work and so I in my opinion that became way more important than the fact that you're going to go and hit these certain paces and that you're going to put in this certain amount of training to equal this sort of sort of result so there was a definitely a transition there for me where it's like hey if I have found complete like joy in this whole process, then the results will come, you know, at someday they're going to come and someday I'm going to have that breakthrough, but at least I'm already now enjoying where I'm at today. And, um, and then I, it was funny cause then I could look back to those times that were hard and say, Hey, that was meaningful too. You know, in fact, maybe even more meaningful because that perseverance side of it. like That's what really, allowed you to find the joy in it again. Exactly. Yeah. It's like that, that perseverance, you, you go back when you're having those good races and you look back to that and, and you're able to like dig deeper, you know, you're able to like be able to kick it in if you're going for the win, because you remember those times that were hard and you remember those times where like, maybe you even doubted that, that it could come. How often do you have to remind yourself of that now when you're training and racing? Honestly, like every week. (laughs) It's crazy, but yeah, it's true. I mean, every week I have to remind myself, like, don't get caught up in, in, in like the, the exact training that you need to like prove your workouts and that you need to prove your fitness. Actually, no, like trust in, everything that has built up over the years trust in um the fact that you do have talent that there is something there and that it's happened before so it's gonna happen again um and it to me that's faith you know like to me that's faith in running so i think runners understand faith because because a lot of times we don't really see um something and it might even take years but then it's like whoa where where'd that come from? But it was actually because you you stuck. You with were it. believing it the whole time. Yeah, you you something in you believed. You know, let's yeah. go. Let's go back to that time right after college. You started doing some of these PA series races. You're running with some of the top guys. At that point, were you thinking, all right, maybe I'll pursue the marathon at this point, or was there an initial attraction to trails, or what was your thinking at that time in terms of the direction you wanted to go? Yeah, it was, uh, first was the marathon. So I really 
thought that it was going to be the marathon. In fact, um, I had a stretch uh, that year where I ran like four marathons in three months, which was which wasn't very the smartest thing to do. <laughs> but uh, PSA for those of you listening at home, <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> um, but there was some glimpses. So there was like a few, like one the Chicago mar- marathon. I was able to like stay on the Olympic trials time all the way through like 21 miles before I started cramping. And so it was like really close to getting the result I wanted. And so it sort of kept that fire going. And then I won like the Humboldt marathon and then I placed a second in the Indianapolis marathon in like 223. And so there was good, like pretty good results there. Um, that kind of, kept me intrigued but when I ended up coming to Bend it was weird because like as soon as I started hitting the trails I just really fell in love with it like I I mean I I enjoy running fast but the trails to me like it's just who I am like it just brought me back to to the farm it brought me back to like those times where I would just go running up the ranch and do a loop and just Cause I, I, uh, wanted to just cause something inside of me wanted to go running. Yeah. I don't think we covered it earlier. We talked about how long you've been here, but what did bring you to bend? <laughs> it's a funny story because I kind of look back and I'm like, wow, really? Like I made a decision like that, but how old were you? I was, so I just finished college. I was 21. Okay. Yeah. And my friend from Mississippi Uh, We were like working on an online business. And at the time, he was planning to move his entire family to Bend, right? But he already had four kids. And so he said, Mario, like you're single right now. How about you just go to Bend? And since you work online and we'll get you like a little room and you just check it out for me and tell me if it's like a good family place, right? Like it's like a place so where you were doing his recon work yes, for him. Yes. Honestly, that's <laughs> as silly as it sounds. That's how I ended up in Bend. So I was like, so as incredible of a place as this <laughs> is for running and outdoor activity and weather and trails and all of that, that's not what brought you here. No, I, <laughs> I, I didn't even know Bend existed. He said Bend, Oregon. So I Googled it and then I was like, Oh, that looks pretty. Like I'd only been to Oregon once for, for a cross country race. I'd been to Portland and I kind of thought Ben would be like rainy. I didn't even know it was like high desert. Um, but I was like, Oh yeah, three months. I'm, you know, at the time I was super flexible and I kind of was like excited. Right. Yeah. You know, like when, when you're young, you don't have these like responsibilities. And so I was like, yeah, let's just go. Um, and And then I discovered it. It was weird. It was like, I remember that first day I went running from my little apartment above a garage. We're running on the Deschutes River. And I was like, I did this like 16 mile run. And I was like, what? Like, I can keep going. Like, there's more trails and then there's trails up here. And I started looking at trail maps and I'm like, oh my gosh. You're like a kid in a a natural candy store. Yeah, it was it was so cool. And, and at, at the time, like Ben wasn't yet like this, this like Mecca for, for running, you know, it was just pretty chill. Like Max King was here, but 
but not very many people yet. And so um, it just started like kind of being discovered. And, and yeah, I guess the momentum has definitely picked up here it's, it's in built. recent years. <laughs> um, what was your first trail race? First trail race was the Dirty Half Marathon here in Bend. Okay. So 2010. Yeah, 2010 in the summer. Um, yeah, Max was going to do it. And I'd been doing some training with him at the time and decided to jump in it with him too. How'd it go? Yeah. I ended up fourth. Yes, fourth. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad. It was the it, at the time it was the US half marathon champs. Yeah. Um and and I felt I felt really good. Um I would have liked to have been second that day, but I thought I ran pretty well. I had some issues that I had to work through and um I thought it was a good trail debut. Yeah. <laughs> Were you hooked on trail racing after that? Event? I was. I was, I just went on like a rampage that, that, yeah. Because you haven't even stopped. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last road race that you ran, or at least in my research, I couldn't find the last road race that you ran. Yeah. Then. It's so funny, but like, I just kept like that year I raced like the marathon trail championships, the 50 K I just kept, I just kept going is like, like I just couldn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> what did it mean? For you to make your first national team? Man, honestly. And when was that? So that was 2013. Okay. And honestly, like, so the competition was in Mexico. And it was actually very, very exciting at first. Like when I got the jersey and I got the US jersey, I remember it's like I put everything on, you know, and I'm like, no way. This I've is, made it. Yeah. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but um, so I was so excited. And and then I guess I didn't realize how hard it was gonna be because I actually went to race against Mexico. And um and then it was like it was very strange for me. It was like uh sort of feeling like they were gonna be mad at me, like Mexico is going to be, it's, it's weird, but this are, this, is, this is the real struggles that I dealt with. And then I thinking like they were going to throw tomatoes at me, but they didn't, they like, they were really happy. They were like cheering for me. And, um, and it, I was a lot of, it was probably just me in my own head. Um, so that very first international experience was not my very best one. Um, it was like a combination of, yes, it was so fun to run for the U S for the first time, but at the same time, like kind of like, what does this mean? You know, like, like I'm, I'm like wearing the USA, you know, Jersey, what does it mean? And the good thing, it was just one of the NACAC races. So it wasn't like huge it wasn't competition. A world championship. It was not a world championship. So right. my first world championship was definitely different. Yeah. And now, I mean, you've made six U.S. teams, correct yep. me if I'm yeah. wrong. What does it mean for you now every time that you make one of those U.S. teams and you get to represent the United States either on, well, it's an international level, but at something like NACAC or 
at the highest level, a world championship, which he did this past summer in Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I mean, not to like, NACAC is really awesome, but now like the teams that I end up going to, they're going to be for, for world championships just because if I'm, I feel like if I'm going to really give it everything I have and train specifically to peak for something like that, I, I, I was hoping it would be this biggest, highest level. Um, and now it, it's a really good question because in my opinion, for me, it's, that's the most important race. Like I see that as the most important race, the race that I have to give a hundred and everything percent that I have all my heart and soul. And that my teammates, especially like my teammates are counting on my very, very best effort. And so now like the world championships, to me have been like uh, the most like important, meaningful race. And, and when I put on the U S Jersey, like I just take it very, very seriously. I think of it as like, this is game time. Like I want to represent with everything I have, because I, to me, it's like a symbolism of what, I want this, this country to, to be, you know, like this place of, um, of like people that can work hard, people that can work in unity, people that can be of different colors, but like do something together. And so, um, I know for some people that's not the way they see the world championships and I'm okay. But like, for me, honestly, that's how the way I see it and why I guess I've kept coming back to it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And I commend you for it because I do feel like in trail and ultra running specifically, not to bash on on other athletes, but the world championships are making a U.S. team doesn't have quite the importance that it does if you're a track racer or if you're a marathoner. I mean, in that sport, because it is a very different sport, that is everything to yeah. make a U.S. team in terms of of pride, like you had just described, and what this country means. But also for many people, um, in terms of making a career out of it, like if you make a U.S. team, you can sign a contract. Yeah. Whereas in, in trail and ultra running, it's not quite yeah there yet. So it's a really it, it's a really interesting like dichotomy of sorts between mm-hmm. you know between the two, like what making a national team means. Yeah, it's interesting because. I see when I go, I see these other teams like Spain, France, like Great Britain. It's a big deal. And it's the biggest deal. Like, I mean, they're there taking it so seriously. Like you've got like the whole country behind them and it's about the team. Like even the guys that lead their teams, honestly, like I heard like Ludo, the top French guy, he was always asking, where are my teammates? Like he... It was about his team, you know? And to me, like, gosh, man, that, (laughs) like, we need that. You think it's a cultural thing? I do. I do. I think we need more, like, team-oriented things. And we need need to learn to not make it so much about, like, the one person that has to stand out and get all the attention. But, like, like, we need unity. You know, we need people doing things together we need that as a country yes i i I believe it i believe like that can can bleed into the culture if we start kind of focusing more on these team um 
goals, right? Um, and and that's I'm kind of jealous of some of these other teams, to, to be honest. Like I look at their unity and like how they're doing everything together, how they're coordinating like the travel, how they'll go as a team and go, you know, check out the course and know where they're going to have like their aid. I mean, they, they, they're like meticulous about it. And, um, and here in the U S there's a handful of people, athletes and administration alike who, who do care about it to that degree. Um, and it's, it's almost not enough. Yeah. That's, that's been my, like, my passion, I guess, and my goal was like, what can I do to make it better? Right. Like, because I, I almost thought of not going back. I almost thought about that, especially last year. Like, cause I, I led our team last year and it was just like, there was nobody seemed to care. Like it was like the trail running community didn't seem to care about it at all. And, um, and we got a medal, like we, you know, we, we ended up getting a, a bronze medal, which is really awesome. And these teams are really good. <laughs> so I was like, huh, you know, maybe, maybe it's not really worth it. But then I'm like, then I'm just not doing my part, right? Like then I'm not doing my part to push kind of our mentality and our culture in this direction of like, the most beautiful things that we can do in this life are together as, as teams, as yeah. This as, is back to your upbringing mm-hmm. as your family. You do yes. things together. We do things together. And, and it's amazing to see that thread continue throughout your life. It's yeah. It's weird. It's like you think that these things early in life maybe will not stay with you and then you see them keep popping up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love that. And that's one of the things I really like about you and myself speaking personally as someone who is producing this podcast and in the media and, and covering the sport to some degree. It's been something I've been fairly vocal about is why don't more of our top trail and ultra runners take the world championships more seriously? And and I think on an individual level, people can give you a laundry list of reasons why. Um, but as a coach also, and I have some higher level ultra runners who have made us teams and every time if they ask me, should I go or should I not? And I was like, if you have the means to go uh, and you can get that time off work and spend that time away from your family, that opportunity does not come every year. You may never get it again. Um, And not just in running, but in general, to represent your country, to represent something that's bigger than you. And Mm -hmm. I think if we could have more of that in trail and ultra running, just be a much better and much better sport in general. And and I Mm -hmm. think one that um, not that it'll ever be huge, but that more people could take seriously as a sport when our best athletes are saying, yeah, it is important to me to represent the United States at a world championship. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping, um, that can just slowly change. I mean, obviously it'd be nice if it changed really quickly, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I, I, I look at like my performance this year individually and, you know, you were sixth at the yeah, sixth long at- well, the the World Trail Running Champs, which is a yes. long race. Yeah, 55 miles with uh, 16K vert on really gnarly European terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was like funny because 
with a lot of like the interviews and stuff, or even just some of the races that I did lately, there was a lot of talk about my my race in Bandera and in Lake Sonoma. But to me, I thought I I ran way better at the World Championships. Like I know I was only sixth, but that was honestly the best I've ever run. Like right. like that's when I look back at my list of races. To me, that one stands out because I, I got everything out of my body that I wanted to. Well, and I think it's easy here in the states to place high importance on the same races year in and year, especially here on the West coast. It's like Sonoma, it's Western States. Um, it's hard rock. It's kind of all of these, yeah. all of these things, but world championships, which is, it's a world championship. Yeah. These are the best <laughs> athletes in the entire world on the planet, yeah. um, all coming together to do this one race. Like it gets lost. And that's always been something that's irked me. So mm-hmm. I appreciate your stance there. And, and that was quite the digression from uh, our conversation about you, but I'm glad we had it. Um, <laughs> and I know we don't have a ton more time here, but um, going back to you and, you know, I think where we left off was, you know, that first trail race and getting into it and sort of where it spiraled from there, but you didn't get right into ultras right away. It was a few years before you made that leap. When did you decide the time was right to go beyond the marathon distance? Um, it was I 2012. So two years. Yeah. Two years after my first, uh, trail races. And I think that what ended up happening was something intrigued me about doing something scary. Yeah. Just like, like this healthy like, fear. Yeah. It was like, sort of like, man, I think I got to push myself a little more here. And so I was sort of in a, in a place of trying to decide whether to run the U S champs that were here in bend and that flag line 50 K flag line 50 K. Yeah. And so I was like, I kind of want to run that, but I don't know if I can do a 50K. So then I ran the McKinsey River 50K in 2012, which was two weeks before Flagline. And so it's a little smaller stage. A smaller stage. Um, and it was a sort of a test and debut, I guess you could call it. And and then I ended up doing Flagline too. So I went back to back 50Ks. So you did your first two 50Ks within two weeks of each other. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) Ultra runners are a funny bunch, man. I mean, I remember training for my first 50K in 2014. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, I live in Marin County, California. It's a trail hotbed of sorts and a lot of competitive athletes live there. And I remember going on a training run with a bunch of guys who were also doing the way too cool 50K. And for me, this is five miles longer than I've ever (laughs) raced before. And like you initially, I was I'm like, I don't know if I can finish this. Like yeah. this is 31 miles. This is like a big deal. And these guys around me who are much more experienced are like, oh no, no, that's just, that's, that's summer speed work for hundred milers. And I'm like, you guys are thinking about this a lot differently <laughs> than I am. But it's funny how once you get over it, you're like, oh, let me see, let me see what else I can do. Yeah. It, it, you get hooked. Yeah. It's like, it's all of a sudden you, you break this mental barrier. You're like, wow, I wonder where the limit is. You yeah, know? what a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, how did your training evolve as you got into ultras? Because you're self-coached, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so and originally, because those like those two first 50Ks I did, they weren't very hilly and they were still pretty fast. Originally, my training didn't change too much. I, I just sort of 
did a little bit longer long runs and the trails here in Bend are great for those two first ones because I mean, the, the McKinsey's a little technical, but they're still very like fast flowing. And so at first I just bumped up my mileage to like 85 miles a week and just tried to get a little bit longer, long, long runs. And it wasn't until I started getting into more of the sky running type stuff that I was like, well, I am missing a whole factor here of vert. You know, I'm missing this whole like quad resistance, um, slow learning to slow move, learning how to power hike. I was missing all those ingredients to, um, to run as well as I could there. And so then my training really the last few years has evolved in a way that um, I try this in the peak season to hit about 100 miles a week. But more than anything, I try to focus on spending some time like in really steep mountains uh, and getting getting those higher numbers in the in the vert area. And and I've actually enjoyed it more. So that's the the funny thing is that I enjoy this type of training way more than the training I first started out with, which was more like speed oriented. And now um, I get to do a lot more summits, a lot more just uh, that that like high elevation, high alpine and beautiful kind of rocky terrain. Yeah. What excites you for the future from a competitive standpoint? Right now, I want to get a good 100 miler in. Like I really... I really want to have that feeling of like, I, I gave a really good effort. You nailed it. I nailed it. Like, I don't honestly, like at this point, I, I don't care. Like I don't have to win. I'm I'm just like, I just want to get that effort out there and be like, yes, (laughs) like that felt good. Cause I, I've run into that like last 20 miles, just issues with it. And I really think it's nutrition at this point. So I think I'm really close, but um, I still, I still have to get it, you know? So, so competitively, that's kind of what intrigues me right now. And I'm hoping once, once the baby comes, I can kind of set something on schedule to, to get after it again. Last question before we wrap up here, what are the biggest lessons that running has taught you that you've been able to apply to your life as a whole? Man, there's so many. (laughs) That is a really good question. Um, I've actually learned that it goes against what we might think, but when I've put like my goals sort of second and put more the, the goals of like, a team, for example, or the goals of a country. Like I think of, I think of like the U S a lot when I'm going to go race the world championships. And I think of like where I want it to, to go, you know, where I want the country as a whole to go. And when I've put that first above my own competitive goals, I've actually seen, I've competed better. And it goes against what I thought, you know, I just thought like, I I was at a point actually where in the world championships, I was kind of like, if I end up getting fifth for us, that's great. Cause if we all run really well and I'm fifth, I mean, the teams will matters. And then all of a sudden, like the last two years, I've 
been in, you know, leading our team. And it's sort of weird because it's, it's almost like the pressure comes off and yet you're focused on like just the actual effort you can give. Like, like I'm just like, I've simplified it to just what's the best effort that I can give them. And I've actually found that you're able to perform better that way. You know, and it's and it's kind of strange because I've grown up now in more of the American culture where it's so goal oriented. You know, we're so like, like you got to have goals or you're not going to hit them. If you can't visualize them, you're never going to get there. And actually, I don't, I honestly don't think that's true. I really don't. I think like a person cannot give more than their best effort. Like think about it. Like a person, we don't actually give 110%. We say, a person gave 110% when they've given 100%. All you got is 100. <laughs> yeah, all you could do is 100. And so if you just give 100% of what you have every time you race, that's the best you can do. And so that's that's what I've done. You know, that's where I've focused on it. And that's why I think my racing, aside from Western States, has been a lot more consistent, you know, because that's all I'm focused on. Like, and it's, it's cool to, to learn that, you know, to, to, to see that unfold and to say that actually is the same way I can approach life is, I mean, I can't control all these other factors. I can't control who's going to race. I can't control who's going to be on my team or who's going to fall, who's going to trip, who's going to hurt themselves. But my effort, yes, like that is within my choice and within my control. Can't think of a better place to end it. Mario, thank you so much for this awesome conversation. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Tokayo, as you said to me earlier. <laughs> Tokayo. Tokayo. <laughs> and that's because we have the same name for those of you listening at home. Yes, yes. Now I have two Tokayos in the trail running sport that are good friends. So I'm excited. That's a wrap on this week's show. Thank you so much for listening in. If you would like to help out the Morning Shakeout podcast, the easiest way for you to do so is by going to Apple Podcasts, wherever you consume audio, and leaving a rating and a review. Only takes a minute or two, but helps other listeners discover the show, and it means a lot to me. Thank you to all of you who've done so already, and for those of you who haven't, please get on it. I'm just kidding. I'm not that desperate. Uh, for those of you who would like to support the show even further, you can do that by going to the Morning Shakeout slash support and pledging via Patreon. Many thanks to those of you who have already done that. That really means a lot to me and really helps to sustain this show and cover all of my costs. And finally, thank you to John Isaac, who makes this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. I don't know what I do without you, John. So gracias. That's it for this week's episode. I'm Mario Fraley, and this has been the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Podcast.